The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured in front of them. His face was shining like the sun. His clothing became as white as the light. Just then Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Just then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down on their face and were terrified. Jesus approached, and as he touched them, he said, Get up and do not be afraid. When they opened their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Do not tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to begin today by speaking about a detail that could be easy to overlook. It's right at the beginning of our reading. It says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a high mountain. The transfiguration took place about six days later. Six days after what? Well, it took place about six days after Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ. I'd like to go through that history since I think it really sheds light on what is going on with the transfiguration. So one day, Jesus was with his disciples and he asked them, Who do people say that I am? The disciples answered by telling him what they had heard. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah. Others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. We won't get into the specifics of why the people might have answered the way that they did, but suffice it to say that the people recognized Jesus as being highly unusual. They thought he was one of the great prophets. Then Jesus asked his disciples, But you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word Christ means anointed one. It also has connotations of kingship. The way that the kings became kings in the Old Testament was by being anointed with oil. So there's kingship here. Plus, throughout the whole Old Testament, God gave his people prophecies about a coming chosen servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord would set things right. He would establish justice and righteousness. He would 
Open the eyes of the blind, and the ears of the deaf would be unstopped. Ultimately, these prophecies go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were promised that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. God's people had been looking for the Christ who was to come. So when Peter answered Jesus' question about who the disciples thought that he was by saying that Jesus is the Christ, this is no ordinary everyday answer. There is no more important confession on earth. In fact, this is the shortest creed or statement of faith in Christendom. I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And Peter even adds, the Son of the living God. So Peter is identifying this man, Jesus, as the most important ever. And he's even saying, you are God. Jesus responded to Peter's confession this way. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now there's quite a bit that I wouldn't mind talking about, with these words, but to keep it short, I'll just point out a couple of things. Jesus says that his church is going to be built on the rock of Peter's confession. What is Peter's confession? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So if you want to be a Christian, there you have your creed. The other thing is the activity of this church is also laid out. Christians, those who confess what Peter confessed, that Jesus is the Christ, are given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Christians forgive and retain sins. When Christians forgive the sins of repentant sinners, their sins are forgiven. When Christians retain the sins of unrepentant sinners, their sins are retained until they repent. These are eternal, stupendous things. Heaven and hell is exactly what's being talked about here, to which each individual must go, to one or the other. And this very thing is put into the hands of Peter and all the others as well, who make the same confession as he. So this was all well and good. Peter got it right. Good for Peter. But then not long after this, Peter will end up getting it wrong. After Peter's confession, the Gospels tell us that Jesus began to teach Peter and the other disciples what was going to happen to him. He was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the experts in the law. He was going to be killed and on the third day rise again. When Peter heard this, he took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. May you receive mercy, Lord. This will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, 
For you are not thinking the things of God, but the things of men. You are a snare to me. Note how in quick succession, Peter is called the rock and also Satan by Jesus. He is called the rock for his confession that Jesus is the Christ. He is called Satan for opposing the way that Jesus was going to be the Christ. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the King, was going to accomplish his redemption for sinners. He was going to attain eternal life for those who are under the wrath of God by becoming subject to that wrath and swallowing it up. By his death, he would destroy the power of death. And in the process, he would look weak and horrible like a worm and no man and the furthest thing from a king. But even that was foretold by the prophets and the Psalms. After rebuking Peter, Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that this is not something that is just applicable to him. The cross applies to anyone who wants to be his disciple. Let me read in full what Jesus says here. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In fact, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. After all, what will it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father together with his angels, and then he will repay everyone according to his actions." Amen, I tell you, some who are standing here will certainly not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now what I have just read is immediately prior to our gospel reading where that picks up today. Six days after that, Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a high mountain and was transfigured before them so that he shined like the sun. I think it is important to pay attention to that link that the gospel writers make between what came before and then what happens with Jesus' transfiguration. Peter and the disciples confess Jesus to be the Christ. We know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, but they have a hard time accepting the cross. It seems to me that you can see this somewhat on the Mount of Transfiguration. Think of the frame of mind that Peter, James, and John were probably in. Jesus had confirmed their long-held suspicions about who he really is. They had long suspected, perhaps even from the very beginning, that Jesus wasn't even just one of the greatest ones come back to life, but that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he had told them that that is exactly who he is. He is the most important man ever, and they are his friends and his disciples. They'd been living with that knowledge, having been confirmed and certain about who Jesus is for about a week. 
And of course, Jesus had rebuked Peter in the meantime, and he'd said some stuff that none of them really understood. But the important thing is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus' appearance started to change. Lo and behold, I think that the disciples maybe were thinking, here we go. This is it. This is the Son of Man come into his kingdom. We're about to be whisked up into his glory. He is who he said he is. He's the Son of God. How thrilling this must have been for them. And they were kind of anticipating this very thing too. After all, that's the kinds of things that God does. And there are Moses and Elijah there, the greatest of the greats from the Old Testament. I wonder what's going to happen next. And this was all wonderful and exciting and evidently thoroughly enjoyable for the disciples. Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Let me make this more permanent. Let's build tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. But even before he was done speaking, things became even brighter. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of that cloud. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Perhaps those words sound familiar to you, and they should sound familiar. When Jesus was baptized, he was anointed by water and the Holy Spirit, and at that time a voice came from heaven This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. What is added here at the transfiguration, though, are the words, listen to him, listen to Jesus. We, like Peter, need to listen to Jesus. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Peter thought that it would be horrible for Jesus to suffer, die, rise again, God, the Father, on the other hand, loves Jesus and is well pleased with everything that he did. This is true also for us as our li- with our lives as his disciples, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. Whose life is free from misfortune, pain, loss, and sadness? It's always possible for us to react to such things by passing along the pain, make somebody else bear the burden, never allow ourselves to be shamed, but perhaps do a little shaming ourselves. Living that way, living only to make your life better, tends to make sense to our fallen, sinful, selfish common sense. Jesus, on the other hand, teaches us many things that are contrary to a selfish common sense. We should not look for what is pleasant or beneficial for ourselves, but what is beneficial for others. And not only should we look after what is beneficial for our friends, people that we like, but even what is beneficial for our enemies, the ones who have hurt us. So we are in as much need as anyone of that admonition from God the Father. Listen to Jesus. Jesus is his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. 
Listen to him. To follow Jesus' words might not seem like a sensible course. Certainly Jesus' words to Peter about his upcoming suffering, death, and resurrection, that sounded like a horrible plan to Peter. Never should such things happen to you, Lord, Peter said. But those very things that Jesus did were the best things that have ever been done. It was by what Jesus did in his suffering and the cross and the resurrection that brought about the renewal of sinful mankind. So it is also, but on a much smaller scale and with many imperfections, when we live the sanctified life that we've been given to live, when we live with faith in Jesus, our Redeemer, and when we listen to him and live as he teaches us, this is pleasing to God our Father. It might not appear impressive or honorable to those who do not have the eyes to see or the ears to hear, but really, who are they compared to God? Living how Jesus teaches us might not even be pleasant to our own selves. Maybe we would wish that things would go differently. But God knows best, and those who follow him will be blessed. That's a 100% guarantee, even if it doesn't appear so at the time. Now, one final aspect I'd like to comment on briefly. God the Father said, listen to Jesus, and note what Jesus said then to terrified Peter, James, and John. He went to them, and he touched them, and he said, get up. And do not be afraid. When God the Father says, listen to him, that definitely includes Jesus' instructions and commands about how we should live. However, it is not just those words that we are to listen to. What is most certainly included are these kind and tender words that are in such abundance, like, do not be afraid. Listen to Jesus when he says, Do not be afraid. He's not just some lawgiver. He is also your friend, your savior, and the shepherd of the sheep. We are an awful lot like Peter. We have our own ideas of how things should go, and maybe we're not the best listener. Jesus did not reject Peter on that account, but forgave him corrected him, led him, and loved him. And so it is also with us and Jesus. Listen to him when he says, do not be afraid. He will help you on the way where you are to go as his disciple, no matter where that road might go. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.